Well, the Apostle Paul wrote letters to churches in seven cities or provinces or regions of the Roman Empire. And just to refresh your memory and summarize it, here are the seven. To those in Rome, secondly, to those in Corinth, which was on the isthmus of the Achaean Peninsula, which is southern Greece. Thirdly, to churches in Galatia, which was a region that comprised most of what is now eastern Turkey. And then to those in Philippi, which was in Macedonia, which was northern Greece at the time. And then Colossae, and we went through Colossians not that long ago. That was way over again like Ephesus. I may have forgotten that, but it was in uh, western Turkey. So Ephesus was also a region, and that should come after Galatia. That was uh, really written, as, that was the first epistle I ever preached through. It was Ephesus and the environs of up to over 100 miles in diameter. And then the last one in the canon of the New Testament are those in Thessalonica, which was in Macedonia some 50 miles from Philippi. So there's the seven, and I give these to you because I'm going to ask this question. From your reading of the New Testament, with which of the churches in these seven areas was there a close and reciprocal relationship of partnership in the deepest affections of Christ in the gospel of the Savior. Does anybody know which of those seven there was an intimate relationship with between Paul and the churches? Yes, Philippi. Amen. Um, there are five reasons in the letter itself and Every teacher I've ever had, I took a seminary course, I took a course in church on Wednesday nights when I was still being an actuary. They all pretty much will say these things, but for these five specific things, I have to give Gordon Fee the credit. We used his commentary in seminary, and some of you know he's one of my heroes because he is an assembly of God ordained pastor who is an outstanding scholar who is filled with the Holy Spirit. The first reason is that they prayed for each other in the partnership of the gospel. Secondly, even when they were absent from each other, apart from each other, which was often, they shared concern with each other in their unique gospel callings. Thirdly, and at the heart of it, and this is at the very end of the letter, it was the only group of churches, those in Philippi, with which he had a giving and receiving reciprocal relationship. They gave back and forth. Fourthly, there was a mutuality in what each other was doing as they were... Uh, proclaiming the gospel locally, and he was going off and planting churches. But finally, and most important, 
And this is what is unique to Christianity, and may we never forget it. They shared in the suffering and persecutions that must accompany gospel proclamation just as their Savior had said they would. And I've given you some references in Philippians. But when he was with them in the upper room, the 12 that is, he talked about this quite clearly. Now today is the first of 16 messages from this letter. And it focuses on the Messiah. There's only one Messiah, Jesus, and his gospel. And as we go through it, starting with how Paul approached the Father in his prayer from prison for his beloved partners, we will see the joy of the fellowship that God creates among those who partner together to proclaim the good news gospel of what God the Father has done through the Messiah, Savior, his Son. So, like all of the New Testament letters, this begins with a typical first century greeting to converts in Christ who are being in Philippi. So it always started with the senders. And as somebody pointed out to me once, many people have pointed this out, the problem with American letters in, in, in our day and age is unless there's a return address on the envelope, you have to read the whole letter to find out who's talking to you. Well, they were much more polite in those days, and they said, it's from, and then they listed their name or names, and then they said who it was to. So it starts out, Paul and Timothy happened to be with them. They're identifying themselves, and the New American Standard said, as bond servants. So by calling themselves servants, Paul and Timothy are taking the role that the Savior said, Jesus said, would make them first in relation to their peers of disciples. Remember what he said, that who will be first, whomever will be first, must be your slave. Now, as Jesus has instructing them here, you can look up the full passage. He used the word deacon servant to describe himself in parallel with a slave servant to describe them. Both of these words have a basic meaning of helping others by being of service to them. But again, the word Paul that he used here is more than half of the time translated as a slave. We must be slaves of Jesus Christ. And then he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, being in Philippi, together with the overseers and the ministers. And they're not separated out. What he's really saying is all of you. Now the first word here that's so important is saint. What does saint mean? Well, the word itself means holy. Saints are people who are being made holy in the Savior because they are in him through the faith that he is giving them. So here's something we must 
consider and never forget. All who are in Christ, truly in Christ, are being sanctified and made holy. Now, I was talking with Debbie this week. I try to really honestly and critically examine myself. I know I'm a long way from being holy as I'm supposed to be holy in God. But I can look back to how I was over 40 years ago. And I can thank God because of him, because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit and his word, I'm making progression towards holiness. And if we can't answer that in the affirmative, we need to start praying. And then he uses a word here, all. And this is very important. It's from a root, and the root is pan. And I thought, how appropriate. We all know what pan means these days. We can't turn on the TV without hearing about this pandemic. Pan means all. This virus has gone over all the face of our world here today. And Paul uses this root 36 times in this letter. Okay? Now, one of the two themes of this letter is followers of Jesus, those being made holy, supporting each other. So when all the saints, those who have converted through faith in the Messiah, when they are completely united, that's one of the themes, this tremendous unity of all of the believers in Jesus. And this word all is used seven times. It wasn't always in the New American Standard. I, I couldn't find one that really translated all the words. But in this prelude of thanksgiving, before he presents his prayers of petition, which we'll look at in two weeks. And then he gives them a double blessing. So it's from Paul and Timothy to all the saints. And he says, grace to y'all and peace. Now, the typical Greek greeting of blessing was grace or charis. And for Jews, it was peace or shalom. And by using both, Paul is doing something very significant in here. In that letter to the Ephesians, he says, because of the work of Jesus Christ, he's done the impossible. He's taken two polar opposites, Jews and people from the rest of the nations, and he has made them into one new man in Christ Jesus. So he's using the greeting for both to all. And then he says, it's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we come to the end of the greeting, let me tell you, this is a very important theological lesson in what we might just throw away as a simple greeting. The only source of grace and peace is Father God through the work of his Son. And notice he says, the Lord Jesus Christ. I was so moved by that, I incorporated it into our prayer. I think what we really have to learn in this world today, and maybe this virus is waking us up to it, God is the King of Kings. He is the Lord. He is in charge. 
no one else. And we'll get more of that later. Now he goes into the true introduction to this letter, and it's his grateful prelude to prayer for the saints, for the converts, who are partnering with Paul in the gospel of grace. So his first big point is he's thanking God always in every petition on behalf of you all on your participation in the gospel. He says, I'm thanking my God on all the remembrance of you all. Every or all, it's the same root. Every time he remembers them, it causes him to have thanksgiving to God. And here's just a conclusion I've kind of drawn from this, and I think it's always true. It is a very good church when every memory that the church planter has of this church causes thanksgiving to God. Now he says, always in every petition of mine, in behalf of, and this was missing in both the NAS and the NIV, but literally says, in behalf of all of you all. Now a petition in the first place is a prayer on behalf of other people. It is a strong plea and request to God on behalf of an individual person or persons. Now I love this. All of you all, this is the first of four uses in our short passage. Okay? Now, it was really funny because I remember studying this in seminary, and I think it's the RSV that has this whole phrase right. And all I could think of from the beginning of the letter to the end and our first assignment was to read it through ten times in many different translations. Was Paul Southern? Or did Southern Americans pick up on the King James translation and, and how this was expressed in the letter to the Philippians. In fact, all of you all, is such a common saying, Debbie, who lived in the South for many years, over 15 years ago, she wrote a little story. And the heroine of her story was named Olive Yah. Olive, you are. And then he says, there is a strong degree of fellowship or partnership in the Holy Spirit that's uniting this church planter, Paul, with all the members of the church in Philippi because they are full partners, fully together with him in the gospel of the Lord who is the Savior King. This is the very unity Remember that our Savior prayed to his Father the night before he went to the cross. And I think we should all be reading John 17 often. And then he ends up with, y'all, again, this thanksgiving and joy, the great joy of fellowship, partnering, is because of the unity that Paul has experienced and always experienced with all the saints in Philippi as they proclaimed the gospel together. Now, I'm sure you've all heard this. Don't seek for joy, you'll never find it. 
but joy comes from partnering in proclamation of the gospel. That's one of the themes of Philippians. And then he says, confident, confident that God will continue your good work of partnering with me. And it's because of this that I'm having compassion, which I share with Jesus, as you're sharing with me even now about the gospel being proclaimed in prison. So he says, indeed, being confident of this, the one, the one, having begun a good work in you all, will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So this confidence in God is that Paul has been persuaded by the one God concerning all of them. And God completes. I think this is a key thought. Whatever good work God begins in his people, he will complete it all the way to the end. Now we sang this as a song of worship to God this morning, right from this very verse. It is the heart of our faith in the faithful God. And let me just restate this. Whatever work he has called us to be doing, and whatever work he has begun in us, if we stay in him, he is certain to complete it in us. It's a two-way thing. We'll get to this later on in chapter 2 of this letter. And then he says, because, for it is right for me to think this on behalf of all of you all, because I have you all in my heart. So his fully persuaded confidence in what the faithful one God is doing in them, it is right for him to think on behalf of all of you all. It's right. So this is now the second time he said all of you all. And then he says, I'm having y'all in my heart. So his whole soul, the way he's thinking, his mind, and his heart, it's fully involved in them. And then here's a fun part that I didn't fully realize until yesterday morning. He says, in both my imprisonments, plural, and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you all are being full partners, fellows of this grace. Again, it's a gift from God, this grace with me. Well, yes, he's in prison in Rome, and I was scratching my head, and then I said, wait a minute. We worked through the book of Acts about four or five years ago. Oh, Acts 16, yeah. The first church founded in Macedonia was Philippi. Oh, he hadn't been there but a few days when he and Silas were thrown into prison before the church even got off the ground. And then, after being beaten and, and in great pain, he and Silas are singing praise songs to God. And little known to them, there was a retired soldier who was the jailer, and he was listening to them. 
And then God sent an earthquake and all the chains fell off. And because of the way the Roman military worked, the jailer was about to kill himself because he was going to be executed anyway. And Paul and Silas say, no, 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 we're all here. Well, this was such an evidence of the power and the strength and the love of God. He got them outside the prison. He fell on his knees. He said, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your family will be saved. And the whole family was baptized, and this was the beginning of the church. So the church began because Paul had been imprisoned. That's the plural imprisonment. And who would have known better than the beloved church at Philippi what was happening here? And then he says... All of you are in fellowship with me. So this is the third time he's used it. And he says, your full fellowship with me as I am defending and confirming the gospel, even as I am bound now as a Roman prisoner. That's his source of joy. And I think it's so cool. Paul's attitude here is nothing can steal my joy. The joy I have over the gospel being spread. We are partners in proclaiming this gospel. I may be in jail. I may be under lock and key. It doesn't matter. You can't steal my joy. Joy comes from partnering in proclaiming the gospel. And it will always be there if we do that. He concludes this portion, God is my witness how I'm longing for all of you all in the deepest compassion, the compassion of Christ Jesus. So Paul is praying and getting ready to pray and petition because God is his witness. Everything he has prayed up to this point about his joy in their unified, mutual fellowship in proclaiming the gospel and his confidence that God will complete the good work he began in them because he has them in his heart. He says, you're in my heart. Remember, in my mind. You're fellows with me in the grace. My confidence is because God is my Ultimately, it's coming from God. God knows my heart. God knows what I'm doing. But also notice this strong reciprocal relationship. He says, all of my prayers are as to my longing and desire with love for all of you all. The fourth time he uses what I'm calling this southern phrase, what modern southerners say for the saints in Philippi that he loves as partners in the fellowship with him in the gospel. So it's all summed up in this deepest compassion that he has, the same compassion as Jesus. Now the word for this deep feeling is literally bowels. You may have heard this from teachers or preachers before. And it's a metaphor for compassion and love that is so deep it can be expressed by this 
figure of speech. I have a gut level love and compassion for you, deep, deep, deep inside of me. Now, let me get a little personal here, and uh, maybe I'm overstating it, but that's kind of how I am. But I think we're all experiencing this gut-level feeling of love this morning because for eight weeks prior to this, we've not been able to worship together face-to-face. -face. I haven't seen so many of you all in a long time here. And I think we've all been missing this privilege of worshiping together. Worshiping together is much deeper than worshiping alone. And I think it is safe to say that because we've been separated, we've all been hurt to one degree or another. I know it has deeply hurt me, this enforced quarantine due to COVID-19. We've all been longing for each other because we're fellow sharers of the grace of God and Jesus Christ, and we want to get together to worship God and to thank him for his grace and what he's done. And what Paul is saying here to this particular church is true of all followers of Jesus Christ. We long for our fellow sharers of grace with the compassion of Christ himself. So the bottom line of Paul's thankful prelude of prayer for all of the saints in Philippi, it's this. Joy is the result or the fruit that happens when all who are being made holy in Christ partner together in proclaiming the gospel in both words and deeds. So here's our application this morning. As we have more opportunity in the days ahead, let us pray that we too will partner together to proclaim the good news. The good news that we are in a reconciled relationship with the God of love. Not because of anything we've done, but because we have faith in the work which Jesus Christ our Savior did for us what he did for us primarily on the cross and in the empty tomb. And we missed our Good Friday and Easter together this year. Now it's one thing for us to know this in our hearts and minds. And I've known this for a long time. But it's another thing, and I admit I still struggle with this. I've always wanted to do this, but it's hard to actually do this as a lifestyle by my words and my deeds both together. But we need to have a lifestyle of being led by the Holy Spirit. And this is the only way we will receive joy as a gift. But if we do proclaim the gospel of the Savior in both our words and our deeds and how we minister to other people, and if we do it, supporting each other, encouraging each other, and together we'll find this truth that Paul expresses in this passage. Joy comes from partnering and proclaiming the gospel. So let's wrap it up quickly. The church planning apostle Paul is approaching the Father on behalf of those being made holy in the Savior King in Philippi with a longing for all of them in a compassion in his gut, just as the King Jesus has. 
And he does this because they have always partnered with him in the defense and confirmation, which is the proclamation of the gospel. And even though he is now in prison in Rome, and he's thankful with joy that the Father will complete this good work he began in them until the day of the Savior came. And as long as Paul was alive and as long as this church lasted, they had joy from partnering in proclaiming the gospel. And I asked Debbie if she could lead us in this song because I think in light of what we've heard, Let's sing together this song, Pass It On. Once you really know God's love in Christ, you want to pass it on. Five, zero, three.